Green Thumbs Rejoice. It's the Bob Olin Show, brought to you by Dan's Garden Center, located in Dan's Feedback in Superior. The WLFSD's Garden Green. Compost you'll dig. Now, KDAL's Master Gardener, Bob Olin. Well, good morning, Bob Olin. You've got a different host this morning. I'm here instead of Dave Strandberg. Remember me? Is this Kenny? <laughs> it is Kenny. How are you doing, Bob? I am doing very well. We go back a ways. This is a real pleasure. Yeah. Nice yeah we've been board, doing this Kenny. for a while, you and I, on different uh, radio stations, under different formats and stuff. And uh, yeah. boy, so it's that time of the year where there's not a lot of gardening going on per se, but there's a lot of uh, things that you can do to prepare for gardening. And I know that you wanted to talk about maybe some issues with climate. And real quickly, Bob, if I could, last year, as you recall, and a lot of us do, things were real dry. Things rebounded towards the end of the growing season. Uh, did that help? Did that hurt? Um, what's the outlook for this uh, season? Boy, is that a good question, and that's one that's on everyone's mind. And you know, Kenny, I, uh, I put a little faith in the, the Climate Prediction Center in terms of broad general trends. Obviously, it's very difficult to predict the uh, the weather from time to time. Uh, and I saw this once. Uh, I believe it was a was an educational program on on some of the challenges associated with weather prediction. Uh, a lot of the weather originates uh, at the equator as uh, a lot of these trade winds begin to emerge, and they 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 start out in a random manner, and this will give us kind of a random effect. And it's pretty hard, even though they're doing a lot of computer simulation. Uh, we're never going to get it 100%. But without a doubt, uh, just general broad trends. So, you know, I, I follow those things. Last year, boy, it was a good example, hot and dry for much of the season. And then we got some rain later in the year. So actually it saved some of our fall crops. If you were uh, fall planting uh, some of the cabbage family from Brussels sprouts to cauliflower, that fall crop was very, very good when we got the moisture we needed. Uh, summer crops, you really needed an irrigation source. It got uh, very, very dry for us. So what can we expect this year? Uh, you know, there's a tendency to think that we're going to have a repeat. And um, I'm not really sure what he is, of course, but I think preparing for warm and dry, the predictions are this. We're going to get average temperatures with a little average, a little above average precipitation coming into the early part of the season. This would be during planting time, maybe uh, May and into June, and to get some moisture at that time, to get some of our seed germinated, to get some of the transplants off and running, that's all very good news. And then uh, we're going to get uh, we're going to have average temperatures and average precipitation through the season and water is what's really critical coming to, oh, typically late June, July can be very hot and dry for us as well as August. Now, for the first time later in the season, they're saying we may be below average in terms of moisture there again. So we're going to have to watch that. But I think preparing, uh, if you're gardening, uh, uh, thinking about where the water source is going to come from, because we found out uh, we did a little work on some of our warm season crops and what we had uh, irrigated, we did fine with. What we didn't have irrigated, we really struggled to, to bring them on to any degree. So I think uh, there's kind of the prediction, Kenny, and I think we'll follow that as we go here. But um, hot and dry is okay as long as you got a water source. So yeah, yeah. you know, actually we uh, we produced uh, some tremendous uh, warm season crops last year, and we're going to look at and focus a little bit on that. 
you know, Kenny, it's kind of interesting. Some of the uh, the catalogs out there, and they're they're out there in their magnificence, of course, beautiful colored catalogs. They're larger than ever this year, so that's an indication that that the retail uh, seed vendors uh, anticipate a, again a very strong gardening season, which I think we're definitely going to have. And uh, but they've been featuring warm season crops on their covers, so they're looking at tomatoes, which is the all-time favorite. If we get a chance, we can talk a little bit about the history and where we're looking at some of those newer varieties. But uh, it kind of surprised me to see a lot of eggplants, a lot of peppers. Uh, the roasting peppers, the colored roasting peppers, have become uh, very, very popular. And we've got an all-American introduction there this year, a new purple, which I'm kind of intrigued by. So. I did a little research on some of those and track some of those because uh, they're a challenge for us to grow, typically this far north, Kenny. But last year was a pepper year, and we might get the same thing this year. So I think um, it's going to be very interesting, but uh, not all bad. But being prepared to have some supplemental water, I think, is going to be the big thing this year. You know, Kenny, I know that you have a great deal of interest uh, in the product itself. I know that you're a... Uh, your wife's a great cook and has a tremendous amount of interest, more than average. So I think that using fresh ingredients, it's a it's an important aspect of, of what we got going forward here, Kenny. Well, it's interesting that you bring that up because uh, my wife, Jan, went to the uh, Whole Foods yesterday and came home with bags full of organic everything. <laughs> yes. And I think that there's certainly something to be said about using organic products, whether it's something you grow yourself or you're able to buy at the Whole Foods or any grocery store now has them. And the products are fresher. The products are made without chemicals and uh, other other things, in, as you know. But uh, say, Bob, real quickly, I wanted to ask you something about the irrigation um, issue. Yes. Can a gardener that has a, a vegetable garden primarily or even a flower garden, but of some size, can they just assume it's going to be dry and just water, water, water regularly? And Well, you know, you ask, you ask a real good question because water is a valuable resource. It's absolutely essential because if we take a look at something like a tomato, it's uh, nothing more than water, kind of flavored and vitamin-enriched water that's encapsulated in kind of a thin skin. So there's obviously a lot of moisture that goes into that. Uh, so, uh, I, I think that, uh, there is such a thing as overwatering. A lot of it does depend on your soil, your soil types, and we'd like to have good drainage. So there's some things I'm kind of glad you brought that up because we think just about a lot about, uh, irrigation, irrigation systems. How am I going to get water there? Can I run a hose in? Can I, you know, we've got what we call perforated, uh, tubes, ooze tubes, we call them. Uh, do I want to water every day or every second day, or do I want to set up some kind of a trickle irrigation system or a sprinkler system of some type or another? But uh, prior to that, I think uh, maybe we should talk a little bit about getting ready for the season. And uh, many of our folks have got either light soils. Uh, the ideal soil would be a, a sandy loam with a high organic content, and uh, most of us, uh, 99% of us, do not have the ideal soil. So I think uh, modifying and, and getting some compost in there, well, mature compost, we don't want immature compost, perhaps uh, a manure, again, that's very, very mature, so we don't have the weed issue. We can have a tremendous weed issue with animal manures of different types, so you got to be a little careful there. But I think getting organics back into that soil, if you have a heavy soil, by that I mean a clay, and here's where we can overwater. Uh, we get in the point sometimes where clay is just pick up and hold so much moisture that it's it's uh 
they can be detrimental, actually, too much moisture in the ground. But if you're working in organic material, uh, then that opens this up and, and we get better uh, airflow into the soil and we get better drainage. So for heavy soil, the organics work, a light soil, a sandier soil, where obviously we're running the moisture through real quickly, uh, adding uh, some organic into your mineral soil that's in your backyard garden. This, again, will retain some of the water. So organics, uh, we really have difficulty overdoing. If you've got a backyard garden soil, which is predominantly a mineral soil, uh, came from, of course, the earth's crushed over time as, as rock was uh, deteriorated into these smaller particles. Uh, typically, in northeastern Minnesota, we need more organics. So we bring some organics in there. And I think this year in particular, as we set up and get ready to go, that may be critical, particularly if it's going to be hot and dry. So good question. Then, you know, once we've got a, a good soil, it either drains or holds water, depending on your soil type. Then we could go on and we can supplement but I think uh, we learned last year that, uh, particularly in, in containers, we had some real challenges. We were growing some uh, bell peppers out in containers. They dried down very fast where you really needed water on a daily basis. So I think that uh, being conscious of that and being conscious of the type of soil mix that you've got as well is going to be uh, critical and probably this year. So if we are going to get warmer conditions and they're predicting average temperatures and that's about what we had last year we didn't have the real intense heat but it got very dry on us so well, we again have average temperatures and think about the water issue i think we could again have a very good growing season Kenny. well that's a good start let's uh, hold it right there through this break uh, now today we're looking for highs uh, here in the twin ports we may see 34 degrees that's i'm sorry that's hayward hayward is predicting 34 degrees how about sky harbor airport so near downtown near lake superior 35 and even on the iron range bob they're forecasting a high today of 34 well above normal this time of the year and so uh, we're looking forward to some mild temps after this long cold spell. But let's do this. Let's go to a break real quickly. More of the Bob Owen Show. We'll be right back. KDAL time, 929, 16 degrees at the National Weather Service in Duluth Superior. Checks in 11 degrees. And yeah, so Bob Owen, we're expecting some mild temps today and then things will turn around a little bit. But real quickly, uh, precip at the airport, uh, we had a trace yesterday, uh, 0.32 inches on the month. And uh, we're, well, actually on the season, so we're, what, seven days uh, counting into uh, February, uh, just 32 uh, one-hundredths of an inch of precip. Uh, We are below normal uh, to start the year, uh, 0.27 inches below normal, so nothing too uh, dramatic, but we want to change that trend. Yeah, it's kind of interesting here. We did have that snow blanket early. We talked a little bit about that, and that's just about ideal for my vegetation perspective, whether you're a gardener or just appreciating the landscapes and the beauty of our uh, forested areas. But we had that snow early, and we had it before we had the intensely cold temperatures. So there should not be a lot of frost in the ground. That's really what we're looking for. Well, for the record, the National Weather Service is listing a snow depth of 14 inches. Okay. I think I've got a little more than that. I was uh, up on the range yesterday, and I think they've got a little more than that, too. <laughs> Some of the snow piles that I but saw that's there a good snow depth to have this time of the year. Yeah, it is. Great insulation, as a matter of fact. And uh, as we say, uh, it wouldn't have mattered if we'd gotten cold temperatures and froze everything up, but we didn't We before the snow. We, we got the uh, snow, and then we got the colder temperatures. And, uh, you know, you get that kind of a snow blanket out there, and um, there's not going to be a lot of frost in the ground. So that's great. So we get... 
some of this melting in the spring instead of running off with flooding and whatnot, we get it absorbed into the ground. So that's going to get us off to a good start. Um, and I anticipate this will continue. You said we're maybe looking for some additional precipitation going forward. Is that uh, what you had to say there, Kenny? Uh, let's look at the National Weather Service here. They're uh, calling for a 20% chance of uh, snow today, 30% chance tonight and tomorrow. But uh, looking into Thursday and Thursday night, there's a good chance uh, the Twin Ports, at least, could see maybe two inches, maybe some more accumulation north of the Twin Ports. But, uh, yeah, and then uh, this weekend is going to be sunny, a uh, chance of snow on Sunday, uh, but Saturday okay. looks sunny. So, yeah, the weather is going to be somewhat uh, normal, I guess you could say. Yeah. It's you know it's real interesting and uh, going forward as they looked at some of the projections from the uh, climate prediction center, hot and dry in the west and the southwest. And uh, I think you know we had the problem last year with the forest fires and uh, global warming, climate change, whatever terminology we're going to use here is on I guess a little bit of everybody's mind. I think we've always had these fluctuations, but now we're we're more concerned as uh, as things tend to warm up a little bit. You know it's kind of interesting. Um, the great thing about gardening is that uh, you c- you're not going to contribute to the problem of uh, the climate issue, fossil fuel consumption. You can actually help uh, mitigate it or minimize it uh, by growing some of your own. By you know, there's so many good benefits that come from that, Kenny. Uh, you grow your own. You, if you're careful, you can save a little money doing it yourself. You're going to get a higher quality product. You mentioned the fact that uh, you know organic. Uh, produce is out there and that's defined by the u.s department of agriculture you can do something similar in your backyard garden just minimizing or avoiding the use of a lot of harsh uh, chemicals as well as uh, fertilizers so you have the options of growing your own uh it's kind of interesting now uh, kenny i came across something here i found to be pretty interesting i wouldn't want to ha- wouldn't want to have to compute this but there's going to be a uh, a label out there on the fossil fuel uh, consumption of various items, which is going to take a look at the production of greenhouse gases uh, from the time they source raw materials through production, through transportation to the uh, retail outlet and then end of life. So there's going to be actually be uh, a labeling process for this, which is uh, the amount of fossil fuels consumed and, cl- and greenhouse gases emitted. So that's a relatively new development, and I haven't seen it on packaging, but I guess ah. it's going to be on a, a lot of products going forward. Sure. Uh, well, Bob, just, uh, why don't we hold that thought? Let's come back uh, with more on that. And uh, real quickly, we're going to go to our Minnesota News Network. I think I missed the uh, CBS News brief. Uh, bear with me. I'm coming, kind of a rookie here at this uh, morning show stuff. Uh, but we will be right back after this short break. KDAL time, 940, more of the Bob Olin Show, 16 degrees at the National Weather Service in Duluth. Fair skies, 14 in Eveleth. And Bob, uh, it was colder this morning in Superior, Wisconsin, colder in Superior than it was in Hibbing. Oh, that's a little change, isn't it? Well, for the record, uh, Superior dipped down to uh, three below, while Hibbing got down to a measly one below. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> well, I know we've got a lot of listeners actually in the Hipping area, and I've got a lot of friends who used to work up on the range and, and get up there and still work some now, but I uh, used to actually work in the industry up there. And uh, boy, Hipping was always uh, one of the real cold spots, and I know they've had it very, very cold so far. So that's interesting that um, you're kind of sharing some of those cold temperatures with Superior. 
You know, it's kind of interesting. We did talk a little bit in climate change is on people's mind. This this is carbon footprint labeling. Uh, that's the terminology that I didn't pull up a little earlier, where they're going to apparently put some of this on products as something new. I don't know how you could ever compute all of that. I wouldn't want that task. But the nice thing about the tomato you grow in your backyard, uh, you know that uh, not much carbon footprint there because, uh, you know, you're sourcing seed and you're, uh, you're doing the planting and the, the footprints are going to be your own footprints working out in the garden. So there isn't a whole lot of uh, carbon being generated in the, in the process there. And of course, you're just going to be transporting them back into your kitchen and going from there. So there are some real nice advantages in, in uh, producing some of your own product. And if you get that down a little bit, there's great satisfaction. You know, you don't expect that you're going to have 100% success. That doesn't come with a lot of things in life. Uh, even some of the figure skating on the Olympics, we notice that occasionally some of the real uh, favorite individuals struggle a little bit. So that's what uh, kind of life's all about. We're just in the process of getting most things right here. And uh, certainly we've got a tremendous number of, uh, of new products out there. You know, we've had this discussion, heirlooms, hybrids, open pollinated, and it's kind of interesting as we've evolved uh, the heirlooms, of course, are all open pollinated. By that, we mean that uh, that doesn't mean pollen isn't crossing, but nature is doing it with insects and with the wind and gravity and other things. Um, hybridization is the process where and it goes back a long, long ways. It goes back to uh, Mendel's day there where we're actually uh, physically crossing the pollen from one plant to another plant and getting what we call a hybrid. So it's really not genetic engineering, not genetic modification. It's just a, a method that been going on for since the start of time in plants, of course. So we got a lot of hybrids, and with hybridization, uh, we've been able to get early maturity. We've been able to accomplish a number of different things. If we take a look at the tomato as an example, great history there. You know, they were for the longest time uh, in the colonial days. They thought they were poisonous, and I guess that came from the fact that uh, tomatoes, peppers, eggplant, they're all in this uh, Solanaceae family, which is a deadly nightshade family. The the uh, fruit itself of tomato, of course, is always edible. The green plants, you don't want to be chomping on that, of course, but they're closely related to deadly nightshade, and they, consequently, I guess this... Uh, this misinformation, we talk about all the information and misinformation flying around today. It happened way back when, and the tomato originated probably in, in uh, Central America. You know, it, this goes back a long, long ways. They were domesticated by the Aztecs uh, just after, uh, uh, you know, the, the time began there. 8,700, I believe, is when uh, they first, there's a record of them actually domesticating tomatoes. Well, the Spaniards came over, they found them, brought them to Europe, and actually they got accepted in Europe before they did here. But uh, they've got this great history. They cross relatively easily. Consequently, we've got all these different varieties out there. And I was asked to, to pull out some favorites, and of course, everyone's going to have their favorites. I never argue varieties with people. If they're working well for them, that's just great. Well, Bob, but, why, uh, why don't we do my top ten? Yeah. Can you save your top 10 list? Oh, sure. Yeah, let's do that because I'm getting a little bit behind here. we got to try to stay on task. And then you do you have a caller. What you got. Yeah, so save your top 10 list, and we do have a caller. Barb Barb wants to ask you about grub worms, so let's save all that for uh, after this short break here. We'll be right back. Uh, Bob, you wanted okay. to talk about tomatoes, uh, but we also have Barb from Duluth who wants to talk about grub worms, or at least let's, as a question. Let's talk with Barb, Barb a little bit. Tomato is a great big subject out there, so let's see what Barb has on her mind. Well, when we dug up our potatoes last fall, we discovered grub worms. 
And oh. so I want to know what to do this spring to make sure we don't have them again. Well, boy, there's a good question because I'm assuming this is a grub worm from the um, our June beetle. And, you know, know, the grub worm uh, does spend about two years in the soil and, and going through its uh, its life stages. And uh, I think I would be moving out of that area. It may be that uh, you're not going to have uh, near the problem. You just don't really have any good options for, uh, you know, if you wanted to use some kind of a chemical for control them. We don't have options there. The one option, if it becomes a major problem, is clearing the snow off. We talked about cold penetration. Um, you can eliminate a lot of insect issues if you, if either we have a hard freeze before we get the snow, but then we have those problems, or if you're willing, it sounds a little crazy, but if you've got a small plot, get out there with a snowblower and uh, clean that snow off and let that cold penetrate. It's pretty interesting, but some of the many of our insect pests that uh, overwinter in the soil the reason that they don't have some of these problems in some of the mountain regions, Colorado potato beetle comes to mind. They don't have a problem with the Colorado potato beetle in Colorado because where their potatoes are grown is on the upper plateau areas in the mountains where they don't get a lot of snow cover and they get very cold penetration so that insect can't get established. We've got the opposite here. And I, I commented earlier, Barb, about the fact that in most cases we want the snow on the ground before we get the cold penetration. The one benefit of cold penetration, it does eliminate these larvae, the grubs that are down in the soil. So, and I, as I mentioned, they can spend up to two years in soil of June. This is the June beetle larvae. Uh, you know, obviously, they're going to get into tubers. They're going to cause some problems. Uh, right now, we got a big snow blanket out there, and they're probably doing just fine. I would just try to rotate out of that area. If you could, that's probably going to be your best uh, method and then if you want to go to the trouble if you're snow blowing if it's easy and uh, frankly I've, I've moved a little snow off for this very purpose uh, just to try to get cold penetration where I've had a problem with some of these insect pests. I don't know if that helps at all for you. I wouldn't stop growing potatoes. I would move them to the location. They can grow quite well even above the ground if you've got uh, you know, you can uh, you want uh, good air circulation, but we can grow potatoes in a lot of different ways. And uh, I wouldn't dissuade you from growing them, but I think I'd probably try to find another location within the garden and move them around a little bit. Does that help at all? It does. We have a small garden, though, and it's divided into four sections. And the potatoes okay. were in one section. Could we move them to a different section? Would that help? Or Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's kind of interesting because the beetle's going to fly, so it might be somewhat random. You know, the beetle's going to fly, deposit the eggs, and then uh, we get a larvae, and that, that gets down in the soil with grub to overwinter. So there may be kind of a random uh, population out there at different locations, but I think I would do that. Another thing you might try, if you've got another area, you want to go to a raised bed, I, I actually did a little work on this, so uh, potatoes for that tuber to set, that stem has to be cool. In other words, uh, I was growing in tires because I saw this everywhere, and, and those stems got hot. I got great big plants. I didn't get any tubers. So, But you can do this. You could take an area, and you could uh, take some chicken wire fence and uh, either chicken wire or hardware cloth so that we could get good air penetration and fill that with soil. You could use uh, you know, a potting soil mix as well as a mineral soil mix. And then you can add some more soil, and you could actually grow them 
that way above the ground in, in another location. So if you were to do that, it's probably going to be better than just in a container because the soil in containers can get pretty hot and you need some distance for those for those uh, stems to elongate and the tubers will set on those stems, of course. So that might be another option. Moving to another quadrant would be another option for you. Uh, if it's a real small area and, and if you're willing to do it, uh, get out there with a shovel and just push that 14 inches of snow off. we got some cold weather coming. That would also be another option. Let's get some cold penetration, freeze it solid, and uh, that's going to help as well. So you got a few options. I love potatoes, love to grow them, grow all kinds of different varieties, so I don't want you to give up on the potatoes, but uh, oftentimes it's a, it's a two-year endeavor because that's the time uh, these grubs spend in the ground. Oh, my, that much uh, time you've got to... Uh yeah, it's very interesting. They're, they're just not an annual. Uh, this is the June beetle larvae that takes uh, actually a couple of years to mature, and they're in the ground. They're feeding on these tubers, and that's what happened to her. It's a food source for them, well, of I, course. I hope that helped Barb out. And real quickly, uh, Bob, we've got about four minutes here, and you were going to go through a list of the top ten favorite <laughs> varieties. Or I didn't realize there was that many of uh, tomatoes. <laughs> Well, it's very interesting because uh, I was asked this question and I started peeling through just the catalogs in front of me. Now I've got commercial catalogs and uh, as well as retail, but even some of the retail catalogs, they got one in front of me right now and I just counted the pages. They got 16 pages of tomatoes in a, in a smaller retail vendor, not a commercial vendor, but uh, we, I probably, I estimated I could access uh, maybe 1500 varieties. And then as I looked into that, there are probably at least a minimum of ten to 15,000 varieties out there uh, worldwide in the trade. Now, it's kind of interesting where we've come. We've come from a plant that people thought was poisonous and it wasn't really being used at all to the most popular garden vegetable out there. So everyone's going to have some of their favorites, um, you know, and, and they come in all types, Kenny. We've got cherry tomatoes, we got heirlooms, and we've got uh, our good slicers. We've got grape tomatoes. We've got indeterminates. So uh, actually, when you think of it, the, the, there's a lo- lot of different varieties out there. But you can't go wrong with some of our standbys, and I'll just mention a few of them. Uh, Celebrity is going to be out there for certain better boy, not necessarily big boy. Big boy now, it may change. Big Boy's got a great name. It's uh, Burpee's introduction. has been around for a long, long time. But we wouldn't get the fruit set here. It's a little bit later to mature. But Better Boy was a was a better one for us. And then uh, people will often ask, a lot of people like Early Girl. And they, if you like these varieties, it's just great. They do set fruit early. Uh, early Girl, from my experience, is very little disease resistance. But I like a variety called Bush Early Girl, particularly for containers, Different genetics, I'm sure, because there is disease resistance there, but they picked up the name because Early Girl is such a great name and, and there's a lot of sales associated with it. But Bush Early Girl would be another one, certainly, particularly in containers, but not just containers. That one's been very productive for you. My list, I've had to change a little bit because I lost, uh, uh, there was a series out there, the Sun Series, Sun Start, Sun Chief, Sun. There were several Sun Series that were very, very good for us, but. Uh, they have uh, kind of left the, the scene very difficult to get some of that seed. But nonetheless, um, I think it will go on maybe with a couple more of the slicers. I like uh, pole big. has a little bit unusual shape to it, but it's a, it's a very good tomato. And then if we are getting a warmer season, 
the mountain series that came out of North Carolina, Dr. Gary Gardner, that did the breeding work there. And it's very interesting, Kenny. You know, the crossing of tomatoes goes way back into the 1800s. They're doing a lot of work at that time trying to find hybrids. And even to this day, there are always new introductions that are out there that we want to try. But uh, there's a lot of good ones on the variety are available right now at this time. I will say in the heirlooms, if you got to have an heirloom or two, uh, brandy wine certainly is my favorite uh, just because of the flavor. Uh, a lot of the heirlooms. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. What was that one? Brandy wine? Brandy wine. It's, brandy it's been around for a long time. It came from the Pennsylvania area. I believe the Amish people out there, there's a brandy wine creek in Pennsylvania. Oh, I like the sound of it already. I lived in Pennsylvania <laughs> for a while. I had some of those. To- it's kind of a long story, but my dad worked at a factory that made tomato uh, uh, sauce, and I had a role in that. So yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, Bob, we're about 25 seconds uh, from uh, hitting the final ID here. Uh, great show today, okay. and we'll be back again next Tuesday to do it again at 9 o'clock. It's fun always, Kenny. we got a good season coming up, lots of new introductions. We've got plenty of time to talk about, but people should be kind of lining up their seed right now, getting ready to go for what will be, I'm sure, an upgrade growing year. Well, thank you, Bob Olin, uh, the Bob Olin Show here on KDAL, and you can find the podcast at KDAL610.com. Oh, has been brought to you by Dan's Garden Center, located in Dan's Feedback in Superior, and by WLSSD's Garden Green. Compost, you'll dig.